0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And Lord, that is our prayer. That is the cry of our hearts. We want you to come. We want your kingdom to come because we need you, because we love you. And Lord, we thank you that it's not that we have first loved you, it's that you have first loved us. Thank you for how you lavish your grace and your mercy and your presence upon us. Lord, we're so grateful for that. And we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through the power of your Holy Spirit as we worship you, as we pursue you, as we listen to you. Lord, as once again, we declare our dependence upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you so much, Sarah. And worship team that was rich, rich worship together. And we'll get to do more of that. So once again, family, good morning. It is great to have you. It's so good to be together. And if you happen to be a guest with us, you are a welcome addition to our church family here this morning. And whether you're watching this live now or whether you're watching it as a recording um, later this morning or even later this week or sometime in the future, so glad that you've chosen to worship with us and that we get to pursue God together. So here at Grace, we're all about loving God, and loving people, and reaching people, and developing people for Him. And we want to talk just very briefly about some of the ways that we're doing that. In fact, one of those ways that we're really trying to grow in our ability to love one another is through something we're going to be doing here in just a couple days. It'll be this coming Wednesday night. It is a racial justice roundtable. We will be live streaming it at 7 o'clock this Wednesday, October 28th. And that will live stream to YouTube and Facebook, just like our morning worship services do. And what we're doing by design is gathering some of our own church family, some folks of color, to listen to their stories, to learn from them, so that we can grow in our ability to love one another and to live out right relationship with one another. So we hope that you will get to join us on Wednesday night. And if for some reason you can't watch that live stream, we will make that recording available, and we hope you get to watch that at a future date. And just one other thing we want to let you know is that we are constantly trying to think through how we can gather more of us together for in-person community and in-person worship. And so something that we're going to be launching this coming Sunday, November 1st, is during this live stream at 8.45 in the morning, we're going to be have what we're calling an in-person streaming. Um, and that is, we're going to be inviting 40 of you who want to RSVP beforehand um, to come then and during the 845 um, live stream starting next weekend, we'll have you upstairs in our student ministry room. You'll be able to watch the live stream together and be able to worship together and be together. And it's just another way that we're trying to figure out how we navigate this thing known as COVID and the guidelines that we're trying to honor as well, but still somehow get more of us together. So that will be in addition to our in-person services that we continue to do at 1045 each Sunday morning. And again, you RSVP for those in advance. And again, for either one of those, um, that live streaming, viewing, or the in-person worship service, you can uh, register for those and RSVP for those on our website or through the Grace app. So once again, we're so glad that you're with us. And part of worship together is giving, giving of ourselves giving of our time, and yes, giving of our resources. And there are so many of you who give so faithfully and so generously to the mission and vision here at Grace of loving God, loving people, reaching people and developing people. And one of the tangible ways that your resources are making a difference is um, starting in November, Tuesday, November 3rd, election day, um, we're gonna be starting an in-person children's program. And that will then begin happening on a weekly basis every Tuesday night. So a couple things with that. Number one, your giving is what's allowing us to do that and enabling us to be able to make that happen. So we also want to encourage you, though, that we're still looking for folks to join that team. And even in the past, if you've served in another ministry, in this season with so many things shut down, we would love for you to throw in with us, even for a season, to invest into the lives of our kids. So if you're interested in being a part of our children's team you can um, get a hold of Jennifer Ingram, our new children's pastor. You can do that, again, through the website, um, through the app, calling the church office. There's just a number of ways for you to do that. And parents, we want to encourage you to register your kids for that as well, and to RSVP for your kids for that, because we're so looking forward to that starting. And again, we can do that because of the resources that you give. So once again, I want to thank God for what he does give us, and ask him once again to reveal himself to us through his word as we dive into that together here in just a minute. So Lord, again, we thank you that we get to gather together to worship the one true God. And Lord, we're reminded once again that everything we have comes from you. And so we're grateful for that. And as an expression of that gratitude, we do choose to give a portion of our resources back and to pool those resources together as a church family so that we can reach other people with the good news of who you are, Lord. So we ask that you would bless that. And again, we commit ourselves and this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Sarah has alluded to, we are talking about prayer this morning because as we continue this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is now going to teach us how to pray. And so in that spirit, as I was thinking about this passage and this message this morning, I was reminded of this children's pastor who was teaching her kids about prayer. And she reminded them that prayer is simply talking to God and listening to God. That really is what prayer is all about. And so then she encouraged her class, her kids, to write down on some post-it notes what they wanted to talk to God about. And so I'm gonna share some of those responses with you. And as I do so, I'm just gonna warn you that I hope you brought your sense of humor with you this morning to church and to worship, because some of these are, are pretty funny. But this is what these kids began to write and what they said they wanted to talk to God about. Here's the first one. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? And this was signed by Neil. Oh, but it gets better. Here we go. So this person said this. Actually, it was the Jenny who said this. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter, because there's nothing good in there now. I, you know, I can work with that, although my birthday's between Christmas and, and Easter. That's, that's good for me, but I, I get what she's saying there, but consider this one. Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. There's some honesty there for you. And how about this one? Dear God, Maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. So there you go. Some some good theology there, I think. Okay, well, let's go on to the next one. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. Is it okay to pray that? Sorry, Dennis. And then this final one, my favorite. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy, signed by Joyce. So clearly there are some pieces of prayer that are natural, that are intuitive. We just, we know how to do those things. But there are certainly aspects of prayer that are acquired and learned. I mean, that's why Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. And that's why we need to learn how to pray. Much of it is natural, but some of it, some of it isn't. And so, Jesus, in this beautiful, amazing prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that is familiar to so many of you, really gives us a a wide range of do's and don'ts when it comes to prayer. This prayer is very meaningful, very relational, very beautiful, but also very practical. So we're going to journey our way through it, and as we do, I'm just going to warn you here, we're not just going to talk about prayer this morning, we're actually going to practice it. So I hope you came prepared to worship with all of you because that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to we're going to learn together, but we're also truly going to stop and pray together as we journey through this prayer, and I've so been looking forward to this time. So let's dive right into this passage and then we'll come back and look at what it has to say for us. So this is Jesus sermon on the mount and he's instructing the disciples, "When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites." For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, so much to work our way through here. And once again, we're reminded that as Jesus is working through the Sermon on the Mount... He is very deliberately correcting things that are going on, not only in the religious culture of the time, but in the overall culture of the time. And there's some very corrective things here. But first, it starts out with an assumption. And we have seen this as we've journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is assuming that we do give to others, that we give to the poor. Jesus is assuming here that we do pray. Jesus is assuming when we look at next week that we do pray fast, that we are practicing these acts of righteousness, these acts of right living with God and right living with other people. But now he does some correcting. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. And the word here in the original language is for that of an actor. Don't be like those who are acting, who are trying to get attention and the approval of others. And Gary steered directly into this last week when we looked at giving that God's heart is for us to have his heart because motives at the end of the day always matter to God. Motives always matter. And there were people, certainly some of the religious leaders to be sure, who would make sure they were seen while they were praying because they were looking for people's approval. And Jesus is very directly saying, don't be like that. God's heart is that we would have his heart, that we would be seeking his approval and not necessarily the approval of others. And he says they've received their reward in full. Their reward is, yeah, the applause of people, but not the applause of God because motives matter to him. And so he goes on and says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. And again, a pagan was someone who didn't know God. That was pretty much anyone who did not know the one true God. And the pagan formula for prayer was much and more. A lot of words and a lot of prayer. Because whatever little g God you were praying to as your God, you needed to get his or her attention. Because the gods are busy. They have lots of things to do and they don't really have a lot of time for you. So you need to make sure that you're getting their attention. And so remember with me some stories like in 1 Kings 10, excuse me, 1 Kings 18 with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And what were the prophets of Baal doing? All 400 plus of them. They were screaming and yelling and singing and even literally cutting themselves with knives to try and get their God, Baal's, attention. And Jesus is saying very clearly here, don't be like that. You don't have to get God's attention because you already have it. Now let's think about that for a minute. Jesus very deliberately here uses the word father here. So when you think of a father, what do you think of? Well, naturally, reasonably, for many of us, if we had a dad we remember, we think of our, our, our earthly dad. We think of the dad we grew up with or the stepdad we grew up with. And unfortunately, some of you had some very broken experiences with that. You had a dad who wasn't engaged, wasn't involved. A dad who you had to try to get His attention. In fact, maybe some of you as adults are still trying to get your earthly dad's attention. And you need to make sure that your perception of your heavenly father is a right one and an accurate one and a representative one and one based on who God says he is. It's so important for us to remember we don't have to try and get this God's attention that we have God's attention as his children. He loves us. He is engaged with us. In fact, he's so engaged with us, he he knows what we need before we even ask for it, which is a remarkable statement in and of itself. But before we move on from this, it was astounding that Jesus addressed God as his father. Because the thinking of the day was that God was so amazing, so overwhelming, so holy, so majestic, that you couldn't even say his name. And practicing Jews didn't. They would not say God's name, Yahweh, because that was too sacred. That was too special. He was too holy. You could not do that. And Jesus completely blows that out of the water. He is the first one in the Bible who addresses God as Father. And we don't really have an equivalent necessarily to the intimacy that's being represented here. The closest thing we have in our culture is to say, Daddy. This is like in many ways, and even it doesn't fully do justice to what Jesus said here, but this is like Jesus saying, Daddy, your daddy knows what you need our daddy who is in heaven i mean it was it was incredible with what he did there that we don't we don't have to work to get this god's attention because he's our daddy he knows what we need when, when we need it which does bring up a very necessary practical question so if god knows what we need before we need it if we take what jesus said here at face value then why do we pray Why, why do we even have, need to ask God? And I think a piece of this is what I used to experience with my own dad and actually what I tried to practice with, with my kids. You see, my dad and I, when we would be out, I'd run errands with him and do stuff when I was a, a kid, loved to be with my dad. I had a great dad, very engaged dad. And when we were out and about, when we would pass a Dairy Queen, we kind of had this unspoken thing that if there was a Dairy Queen we'd stop there. And there were times that my dad would just do that without even asking. We'd just pull it. It was like, oh, thank you, you know, ice cream. But there were these times when I would see my dad watching me as the Dairy Queen was coming into view. And he knew that I wanted to stop. But he wanted me to ask him. Because he wanted to have the joy of fulfilling what his child wanted. He actually wanted to hear it. Yes, there were those times he stopped in without me asking, but he got a twinkle in his eye and he got a smile on his face when I would actually ask for what I wanted. Now, this is talking about our needs, and on some days, ice cream is a need, I would submit to you. But all that being said, my dad, because he loved me, wanted me to ask him because it was all about relationship. Your heavenly father, even though he knows what you and I need before we ask, still wants us to ask him because of relationship, because of joy, because of intimacy, because he's that relational of a father, because he loves us like that. It's just, it's so significant and so powerful, which now brings us really to the Lord's prayer. And what's unfortunate is that some of you have grown up in faith traditions where the Lord's Prayer has become rote and repetitious and ritualistic and lost its meaning, and it was never intended to be that. It is a very rich, vibrant prayer for us to learn from. But it's very important that we understand this is not a formula. It is not an incantation. Jesus didn't intend for us to pray these exact words every single time we pray. For starters, Jesus prayed on all sorts of occasions and he did not pray the Lord's prayer. This is a framework. This is a model. This is something for us to learn from. And so we're going to see what are some of the elements that are intrinsic in this prayer. My friends, this prayer is so rich and so deep and so significant. We're just going to scratch the surface. We're not going to cover all that's here, but we are certainly going to look at some of it. So here we go. So this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is that a word you use in your everyday language? I can't remember the last time I've said hallowed. But the word here has significant meaning, and the meaning is holy. Another way to say this is our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy means distinct, set apart, set apart for. This is talking about the majesty and the amazement of this incredible God. He's so majestic, so powerful, so holy. He is not this impersonal force that permeates all living things. Sorry, Star Wars fans. It's it's a great movie but it's not faith. The force isn't real. And I know that's disappointing to some of you, but faith is. And a relationship through faith with a God who is personal and majestic and holy and amazing is true and is possible for you and me to have. And so what really Jesus is doing here right out of the gate is he's adoring his father. He's praising him and my friends, this is something we are hardwired to do. You know how to do this. You praise things, you celebrate things, you adore things all the time. Last night, I was, I was praising this. It's the World Series, right? Dodgers and Rays. Dodgers are my favorite baseball team, at least my favorite National League team. And man, I was praising them last night. I was celebrating. It was a really close game. It kept going back and forth, but the Dodgers just kept putting a few more runs on ahead of the Rays, And then everything fell apart in the last 10 seconds of the game. The Dodgers committed two errors, and they lost the game. So I was praising right up to the last 10 seconds. But all that being said, whether it's your favorite sports team, whether it's something you enjoy doing, um, a sport, a hobby, someone special in your life, you see, we know how to praise and adore. We're hardwired to do it. And so because we have this relational God who has made us in his image, he wants us to praise and adore him. And certainly he is worthy of that, is he not? He is this God who can love and loves us, who wants us to talk to him and to listen to him and engage with him. So that's what we're, we're going to do. So I want to coach you now to choose one one quality, one aspect, one characteristic of this amazing God. And if you don't know what that could be, then just stay with holiness. But I want to take a moment and I want to thank him. I want to praise him for who he is. So you choose one attribute, and one attribute, one quality about God. And I want to encourage you to just take a moment here and to praise him. And I'm going to do the same thing too. And I find that when I pray... Sometimes it's really helpful for me to to change my body posture or to act out what I'm doing. So I'm just going to raise my hands as a way of of praising him. And if you want to do that, I encourage you to do that too. But let's, let's, just so we can concentrate, close our eyes. And God hears us whether our eyes are open or closed. But let's close our eyes so we can concentrate here for a minute. I would encourage you to raise your hands with me. And I want you to think of one thing about God this morning. And I want you to praise him for it. You can either do it silently or out loud, but let's do that together. Lord, I praise you for your goodness because you are the gold standard of good. You are the only one who is truly, purely good. And even when life Isn't good, even when my circumstances aren't good, I will praise you anyway because of who you are. Thank you that you are a good, good Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's continue on through this amazing prayer. What does it go on to say? It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and there are so many layers, and there is so much depth to this. But one of those layers is when we pray this, when we say this, there is an acceptance that we're acknowledging here. We're accepting a reality that is practical, but also incredibly hopeful. And this is what is practical. When we say we want God's kingdom to come, we're acknowledging that as good as things can be here they can actually be better. We're also accepting the reality that as bad as things can be and life can be so profoundly hard and difficult and is for a number of you for a variety of reasons, it can and will get better because we want God's kingdom to come. We just sang earlier this morning about inviting God's kingdom to come and of course we want God's kingdom to come and God's kingdom is in the act of coming it is in progress it is in motion we in part bring the kingdom by partnering with God but it hasn't fully come yet so we ask God your kingdom come because we we want his kingdom because what does his kingdom mean it means no more death no more disease no more heartache no more injustice no more poverty no more hunger you fill in the blank with what level or layer of brokenness that you see in your world and in this world we live in. Because that's not part of God's kingdom. You see, God's heart is that someday there will be no more death. There will be no more disease, no more injustice, no more wrongs, no more hatred, no more wars. Again, fill in the blank. When we say your kingdom come, we say this is not all there is. There is more, and it is better, and we want it, and we need it. Tomorrow, the elders and I will get together to pray for Ashley Young. And many of you know Ashley's story. Ashley and her mom, Shiloh, have been a part of our church family for so many years. And Ashley wasn't supposed to live this long. She's had a number of chronic hereditary health issues that she was born with. And God graciously has extended her life over and over and over again. But she and her mom have gotten recent news and those of you who've been following our, our, our prayer line know this, our prayer emails, what have you. But she's now been placed on hospice because there's just no more the doctors can continue to do for her. So we're gonna gather to pray tomorrow. And one of the things we're gonna pray is, God, would your kingdom come? Because this God is all about healing. Because you see, in coming weeks, as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount and continue on through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus begin to physically heal people. And every time he performed a miracle, every time he healed someone, he brought someone back from the dead, he was showing what the kingdom is supposed to be about and what the kingdom is all about. And he has miraculously extended and preserved Ashley's life for many years now. And we're going to ask him to do the same thing tomorrow. But we're also going to pray your will be done because we can trust him. Because ultimately his will is what is best. And that's not resignation. That's engaging with the reality that we trust this God. And man, there are times in your life and mine when you're not going to want to trust him. You're not going to feel like trusting him. You're going to have a hard time believing what he's asking you to do or not do. And you're going to wrestle and struggle with that. And that's exactly when in those moments we should say your will be done. Because in a sense, what we're saying is, I love you, I trust you, and I'm going to obey you. Even when it's not my way, even when I don't get what I want, even when it's not what I'm necessarily expecting it will be. But it is a commitment of trust. And so, let's put this into practice this morning as well. Where do you need God's kingdom to come this morning? Where does his will need to be done? So, I'm going to ask you, if you're able to, if you will kneel with me as we pray and ask God for this here this morning. And I know there may be some of you who who can't do this, aren't able, and that's okay. But if you can, get up off your couch or out of your chair or however you're watching this, and will you join me in this posture of asking and of accepting God's will? And let's pray for that this morning. So again, close your eyes with me and pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for his will to be done. Lord, I pray for your kingdom to come. Jesus, we need you to come back. You said you would, and you will. We pray that you would come back soon. And in the meantime, we pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that your kingdom would come for Ashley with whatever that looks like. Lord, you have chosen to extend her life time and time again, and we're asking once again that you would extend her life more. But ultimately, we pray for your will because we know that we can trust you. And so I pray for anyone who's watching or listening to this, that we together would be asking for your will in our lives because your will ultimately is what is best. And we ground ourselves in that and commit ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's continue on through this amazing prayer. It's about adoring God. It's about accepting God. And then Jesus says this, give us today our daily bread. And really, this is one of the many asks in this prayer. And this had to tap into some of their history. And I wonder how many of them had this frame of reference because a number of scholars think that many people in that crowd immediately thought back to this part of their history. And I think they're right. But in Israel's history, some 2,000 years earlier, when they had been freed from Egypt, when God had freed them from slavery, brought them into the desert, he then provided for them despite their grumbling and complaining, and he gave them manna. If you'll remember the story, like in Exodus 16, or even back to our numbers series when we visited that as well, that when they were wandering in the desert complaining to God that he wasn't taking care of them, he graciously gave them manna. It was these flakes that would appear on the ground in the morning with the frost, and it kind of looked like these little wafers and tasted like honey, and they'd never seen anything like it before, so they called it manna, which literally means, what is it? So every morning they would get up and eat their what is it? And if you'll remember, they were instructed to only take as much as they needed for the day. This was their daily bread. And if they gathered too much, it would spoil. And if they didn't gather enough, somehow it turned out to be enough. And he was teaching them to daily depend on him. And many scholars think that when Jesus prayed this, he was reaching back for that frame of reference for them. That just like he did back then, God would provide for their daily needs. And so that's what this part of the prayer is about, is asking God to provide our daily needs. And so that's what we want to do. And it's so often in our culture that we have this attitude of entitlement, like God owes us, rather than this attitude of gratitude because of what he gives us. He gives us what we need when we need it, and he wants us to ask him for those needs. So what do you need this morning? What does daily bread look like for you today? So let's get into a posture of asking here. I'm just going to hold my hands out. And I want to encourage you to do the same with me. And once again, let's close our eyes. And I want you to think with me about what does daily bread look like for you today? What do you need from him today? And now ask him for it. Lord, it's not a physical need, but a need I have today is perspective. I need your hope. I need faith to trust you, to believe in you, to follow you. So, Lord, would you give me that perspective? That's what I need today. And again, I get to ask this of you. Because of who I am in you, I am your son. And those who are watching who know you are your sons and daughters. And so that's how we can approach you. And so we do, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now we come to this next portion of the prayer where he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when you first read this, if you don't really have a frame of reference, it sounds kind of weird. So God leads us into temptation. And of course, the answer to that is absolutely not. James chapter one makes it really clear that God doesn't tempt us at all. What this really is saying is protect us from temptation. This is another ask of God, protect us. Because my friends, there are all sorts of sources of temptation. There's our own brokenness, our own selfishness. The great equalizer where we all start out in our spiritual journeys is that we're broken. The Bible calls that sin. We're selfish, we're self-focused, and it's awfully tempting to live our life that way. But it's not just our own brokenness. We live in a broken world that constantly encourages us to be selfish, to be entitled, to make life all about us. To worship ourselves rather than to worship God, ultimately. But we have another source of temptation, and it's mentioned here, and that's the evil one. We have an adversary who hates God and hates me and you. And he wants to see you fail. When Satan tempts us, he always wants us to fail. Conversely, when God tests us, and God will test our faith at times, he He wants us to pass the test he He wants us to grow and be strengthened through that. Satan always wants you to fail and Unfortunately, for some of you, Satan to you is that person who will appear on your porch at the end of next week with a trick or treat bag and a little red suit asking for candy and That's what our culture in many ways thinks of Satan of. Don't take him too seriously, and you know he's 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 a costume that you wear on Halloween. Well, no. He is an evil adversary who hates you and wants to see you fail and wants to lead you into brokenness. And so rightfully, we ask for protection from him. And that's what we need to do. And so let's pray together that God would protect us from temptation and that he would protect us and deliver us from the evil one. So let's take some time to do that. Once again, close your eyes with me and I will lead us in this prayer together. So God, we do ask that you would protect us from the evil one, that we would take seriously not only our own brokenness and selfishness that we can default back to, but what we're up against in this world that we live in with its broken systems, as well as an adversary who wants to see us fail, who wants to tempt us, who wants to lead us into pain and heartache, and difficulty. And and Lord, we pray that you will protect us from him. Not just protect us as individuals, but protect us as a church, as a family. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So finally, we come to this next part of the passage. Um, And this next part of the passage has some pretty strong statements. It says this, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Catch this. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So what in the world is this really saying? Because there's a warning here, an unmistakable, unavoidable one. So what is this saying and not saying? Well, let's talk about what it's not saying. It is not saying that God will withhold forgiveness for you based on what you do. This isn't talking about salvation. God forgives us not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done on our behalf. And then our response to that. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, was buried, rose again to do life. And when we receive that, when we appropriate that, when we make him part of our lives by inviting him into our lives as our Lord and Savior, we are forgiven. Romans declares there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not talking about salvation. So what is it talking about? In part, it's saying that forgiving other people proves and shows that we have been forgiven. But it's also a warning That God will not bless an unforgiving heart. And my friends, some of you quite frankly are missing the blessing of God because you have not forgiven. Because you are choosing not to forgive someone who has wronged or hurt you. You see, people who have been forgiven know how to forgive others. So what Jesus is calling us to here is to really anchor ourselves to what our identity truly is and to anchor ourselves in God's identity of who he really is. And I had to say anchoring because I couldn't think of a better A word. You know, it has to alliterate. I'm a pastor. I'm preaching. You know, it's all got to match. But all that being said, Tim Keller who many would say is America's pastor, very famous communicator and preacher, has said, all of our problems come from forgetting who God is. Now, who am I? But I would add one piece to that. And I totally agree with what he said. All of our problems come from forgetting who God is. But I would add to that, they also come from forgetting who we are. we are forgiven. God has forgiven us. So therefore, because we are forgiven people, we can forgive others. And I ran across a very vivid explanation, description of that in some of my research this week. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and we'll respond to this in just a minute. But let me read this story to you. This incredible example of forgiveness. Because in a culture right now that's racked with racial tension, racial injustice, conflict, this is a pretty amazing story, and it happened earlier this year. It's a true story, and it says this. It's a moment very rare in the annals of crime history, a man hugging the killer of his own brother in the courtroom where she was convicted, wishing her the very best. Botham Jean was killed while eating ice cream in his own apartment, after former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger mistakenly opened the door to his apartment and mistook him as an intruder. But Botham's younger brother, Brandt, didn't wish Geiger any ill will on Wednesday, and it's talking about the court hearing now. In fact, he wished Geiger nothing but the best, and holding back tears, he asked the presiding judge if he could hug the woman convicted of murder in the killing of his brother. Geiger, age 31, had just been sentenced to 10 years in prison for killing his brother. So, Brandt said, quote, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? Please? Please? And after a pause, Judge Tammy Kemp said yes. So, Geiger and Brandt embraced in the courtroom for nearly a minute. Judge Tammy Kemp also hugged Geiger before she was led from the courtroom. Quote, if you you truly are sorry, I know that I can speak for myself. I forgive you, Brandt said. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you as well. Sobs were audible throughout the courtroom as the two hugged and Judge Kemp herself could be seen wiping tears from her eyes. I wasn't ever going to say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's exactly what Botham, my brother, would have wanted for you. And the best would be for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would have ever wanted you to do. How can a man who has lost his brother, had his brother taken from him by another person, choose to forgive the person who did that because Brant knows Jesus Christ because he has been forgiven. Therefore, he can forgive others. My friends, I know that there are some of you who are watching this this morning as a recording in the future where you're not sure if you know this God. You're not sure if you've truly experienced his forgiveness by entering into his kingdom as his child. And so, my friend, would you please stop right now and invite this amazing God to come into your life through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ? Would you like to experience forgiveness? You can, it's yours to have. And once you have it, you can then give it away because forgiven people know how to forgive. Let me pray as we now enter into worship and sing this amazing prayer that we've just been praying and experiencing together. Lord, thank you that you are the God who despite all of our brokenness and all of our selfishness choose to forgive us. Lord, you make us your children. We can call you father. We can call you daddy because of your great love for us, because of what you have done for us. So now as we sing, The words of this prayer, would we mean them? Would we live them? Would we experience them? Because that is what you want for us. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And one of the things that we did not talk about in this amazing prayer is that it's not just intended for us to pray individually, It's intended for us to pray communally. Do you realize that all the language in this prayer is plural? Forgive us our debts. Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is intended to be a family prayer as much as it is an individual one. And so to end our formal time of worship and seeking God together here this morning, we're going to read this prayer. And I want to encourage you to not just read it, but to pray it and to say it out loud with me. So let's pray this amazing prayer then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So now go, talk to him, listen to him, and live for him. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.